Hi there. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us on the Christians in Sport podcast. Uh, My name is Johnny Reed. It's great to have you with us. Uh, This is the podcast which uh, speaks to you, the sports person. Uh, And we do that as we as we interview sports people who follow Jesus and we ask about how they have played their sport, connected with their faith and their sport connected and and asking what difference their faith makes to their sport. We speak to to people who have been at the top of the game and we've got the same again today. It's a great interview. We have uh, Karen Kennedy. Karen Kennedy is one of Ireland's most capped hockey players, well over 100 caps, uh, and she's now getting back into the game after a significant break. It's a super conversation uh, which Dano has with her about playing uh, elite level hockey in the 90s, the early 2000s, a couple of World Cups. uh, And then since then, Uh, what it looks like for her and her husband to be parents of two young sports people, uh, how they navigate family life in a a house full of sports. It's a great conversation. It's really helpful uh, whether you're playing top-level sport, amateur sports, whether you're a parent of young sports people, uh, whatever it might be, it's a great interview and I'm really looking forward to you listening to it. So uh, let's dive in. Let's join Dano now as he speaks to Karen Kennedy. So... 100 Cups, 100, mine, 100 Cups for Ireland. Karen Kennedy played her first game for Ireland in 1993, two World Cups, 94 in Dublin, and she ended her career at Perth 2002. So you think good, good, solid, unbelievable, actually. Add to that the following. She retired from playing when her first child, Matthew, was born. He's now 13, then Emma who's 11. Seven years ago, this doesn't happen often, returns to playing at a local club when she's in her own culture, a superstar. And now she coaches at the local school. There'll be loads of people listening to this who fit the bill. Loads of you. You'll fit exactly this bill. You loved it. You played. You may not have been as good as Cameron, obviously. may have been. But now you're loving your sport and you want to get back into it. And the children are a big part of this. And let me just throw one more thing in before I start talking to Karen. Uh, She had to combine all this uh, with training to be a dentist uh, when she started playing international hockey. She had a year in general dental practice, then hospital dentistry. And today she's a consultant in pediatric dentistry. Now, she's modest. So with that CV in mind, you won't want to comment on it, Karen. That's my job to talk about it. I'm going to open by asking you the question we ask right at the beginning always, which is, what does it mean for you to have your sport and your faith connected? What does it mean to play connected, Karen Kennedy? Well, sport has always played a large part in my life, uh, really as far as I can remember. I was the second of five children, so we had a busy house, and I think my parents found it the easiest way to keep us busy, maybe out of trouble, by just lots of sporting activities. But as well as that, I was brought up in a Christian home. So from a very early age, taken to church, uh, encouraged to be involved in faith. So there was sport and faith from an early stage, but really quite separate. But then as I developed in my faith and became a Christian and was playing a lot of hockey, I suppose I really tried to live my hockey uh, or live my sporting life on the hockey pitch in a way that reflected what I believed. So, for example, the... um, friendships and uh, relationships you had with your teammates, the way that you reacted to the umpires, maybe took criticism from coaches, um, also the way that you 
manage not only the disappointments and failures, but also the successes. So yes, it was brilliant when there was success, but it wasn't everything to me. So I suppose I tried to live and combine my faith that way. And then as I grew and learned more, I realized that the talents that we have are given from God and that um, we can use these abilities and gifts really as a way of worshiping God as well. So I think really faith and sport changed and become became much more um, interconnected for me. It's interesting that you do say that because often when we talk to somebody who's a little bit older than the current generation, they will say what you said at the beginning, but, but they wouldn't have elaborated. They'd say, well, there was my faith. It was a Christian home. It was my sport. They were kind of separate, but then you went on to weave them together. I think that's quite unusual for somebody in your generation. So what were the separate bits? Now, you've a big family, so you're all playing. What, what are the separate, where were they separate, if you like, when you were growing up then? Well, I suppose, um, and maybe it's partly the culture here in Northern Ireland, mm. very much, you know, you did church on Sunday, the activities, um, and then, you know, maybe I'm a sort of an organised person, so I felt you had, you know, your schoolwork or your studies, you had your sport and you had your church, and sometimes there wasn't much overlap there. Mm. But then you do realise that you can't separate it all out. But it was much, much later on, probably only over the last sort of 20 years, were that extension and it was partly the Christians and sport involvement and the teaching where you realise we're made in the image of God uh, and these things can be used so differently um, to worship him in the way we play and the freedom to do that. Yeah, good, and, and I'd like to revisit that on the way through our interview because it's embedded in the way you think, obviously. Um, there was no clash, I'm assuming, when you were on the up you know, as a young player at university and playing hockey, was there a clash with Sunday sport at all in that generation in Northern Ireland or didn't that exist? Um, yes, it did exist. Did. Not, not for me as a young player as much, but probably then around the 15, 16 age group when representative hockey started and there were weekend training camps that then did become Saturday, uh, Sunday ma uh, training and matches. So it wasn't... Uh, even at that stage, it wasn't every weekend. But then as I progressed through, it did become uh, most Sundays or certainly a lot of Sundays and a lot of times. So there definitely was that clash. And I think then that's the important time when you have to make sure that you are engaged in um, other things like Christian Union at university or the Bible studies, which go on in halls of residence and make sure that you're in with a local church, which there can be other things um, you know, midweek stuff going on as well. On, on that front, many parents uh, listen to the podcast, watch the podcast uh, and meet uh, if their children are in performance pathways, as they're now called, uh, meet together with Christians in sport to think about these issues. So I wouldn't mind you unpacking that a little bit. How did your mum and dad play it with you then at 16, 17? Actually, what advice were they giving you? So at that stage, that was our decision. Um, they were very encouraging at home um, and the importance of Christian faith in every aspect of life, not just sport, was reinforced there. But at that stage, they let us make our own decisions, but supported us in those decisions. Um, and 
I, I think it is very difficult. It is a time when you can easily drift. So having support from home was important. And then I think moving on to university, again, having Christian friends around you, um, people that you have to be accountable to. And I think then perhaps now with all the online resources and podcasts and different things that the getting out of the routine of Sunday, there might be other ways that you can cope with that. And then there are more, or there, there appear to be more flexibility with service, times of services. And I know on the training weekends, if I'd missed morning church, I would have tried to get to an evening service if that was possible. Would you replicate what your parents did with you, with your children? Because they're both sporty, they're both able. Yes. Uh, was that a good paradigm as you look back? Um, I, th I think it has to come down. Once, once that occurs, then yes, I think you have to let the children make their own decisions when they're at age, maybe teens. Earlier on, I think they have to be encouraged to be involved in something. But again, I'm thinking of there are youth groups that meet Friday nights, Sunday nights. So there has to be something. You can't just miss church. Mm. You made your debut for Ireland in 93 against Italy. So it's yeah. the best part of a decade through to 2002 that you're an international player for those 100 caps. Talk us through uh, finding out that you're going to play for the first time. Talk us through the experience of making a debut. Well, obviously that was a really exciting time for me. I was a student at that stage and I remember getting the call f uh, from my mum that there'd been a phone call to her to say that there'd been an injury, so I was going to go as a replacement. Um, as a little bit of background to that, I had been involved in the training panel for around about 18 months. Um, a few of us had been called up as quite young players because the Irish Ladies Hockey Union, as it was known then, had put in a bid to host the World Cup in Dublin in 1994, and they'd been successful because they were actually celebrating their centenary. So... Because you knew that was looming, there was a lot to train for and play for. So I was very pleased to be called up at that stage with this not too far away. So I was in Dundee and I flew to join the team in London and then on to Rome. But of course, even at that stage, you're not sure you'll get your cap because we didn't have rolling substitutions. So depending on the way the game's going, there's a chance you could just be on the bench the whole game. But I came on as a substitute on a nice sunny afternoon in Rome and uh, got my first cap and actually there was a win that day. So lovely. Can you, can you remember it? Clearly, uh, I can clearly remember going on, but actually the rest of the match now is a little bit of a blur. Yeah. But it is quite some yeah. time ago. So the timing, the timing of that then is perfect because the World Cup's coming in less than a year. Yes. More or less, or it's a year away. Yeah, it was the summer then of 94. Did you stay in the team? I did. I managed to cling on in there. From that first From game. That first you were picked game. after that. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. So um, that was very exciting then, managing to stay in and be involved in all of that with the excitement of that. And that really, I suppose, comes on to you know, one of the biggest highlights, yeah. being involved in a World Cup, my, really my first major tournament um, in, at home in, in Dublin in Ireland with all the family, support and friends coming down. An unbelievable experience, really. So, so talk about actually moving from being, might be in, she's good, she's a good youngster, you're in, you're in, and you're going to be playing in the World Cup. How did you adapt to that? Because the challenges, the levels, the staying in the team, the training, all that's a demand now. How did you manage that transition? So again, that was a really exciting time. There was a huge step up um, with regard to the commitment, the, the training, the traveling. 
And so it became very busy juggling studies and hockey. But knowing there was a World Cup there, knowing it could be a once in a lifetime opportunity for us, uh, for me, um, it, it was worth um, giving up some of maybe the social things and other uh, parts of university life that you can enjoy. Mm. So the training was hard, but it was really uh, very, very rewarding. And of course, the buzz you get from competing and the highs are are brilliant. But of course, there's always that pressure mm. that you don't make it, you don't get selected, you've given up quite a lot to try and make it. Mm. And is it worth it? But it was worth it for me. And I think in these podcasts, we'll interview people in full-time professional sport today. And invariably, what comes out is the intense pressure. Intense pressure. I think usually because they don't have anything else in their lives. And it seems very, very glamorous indeed to be a full-time, totally paid professional. But anybody who ever interviews in it, that pressure is exponential because of their job. Do you think in hindsight, actually the demands of doing your shopping, washing, studying dentistry was actually something that brought equilibrium to it? Or if you had the chance and I said, well, you can do your dentistry later, you're going to be a full-time pro for 10 years. Which one would you go with, do you think? I think you look at it and think I'd love to be a full-time athlete, mm. but actually the reality of all those pressures, I think for me, the, the work or the study life balance brought with it the advantages that I knew that if sport wasn't successful, I still had a course and a career that I was going to enjoy, but also the pressures of the studying and the work. Hockey for me, because of the enjoyment that I got out of it, was a release. You could go and play hockey and it totally distracted you from the pressures of your studies. So for me, yes, actually the balance worked very well. But then I also had a lovely time before the, the World Cup in Perth in 2002, where I did take six weeks out of my studies. And it was absolutely brilliant going and living life as what would have been a, a full-time athlete. Yeah. And I think the big problem when you're doing your studying and your sport is it's actually sometimes the recovery time is difficult. You don't just get that downtime. But I think maybe it's more romantic view of a full-time athlete, but the reality of those pressures is definitely there for them. Yeah, that, that's really helpful, Karen, because so many of the conversations we have with young athletes at that 16, 17, 18 age group with their mums and dads is that the va where, they, where it is paid professionally, the vast majority of people at 16 aren't being paid professionally at 20. Mm -hmm. So the emphasis on saying you're more than a hockey player, rugby player, soccer player, netballer, for us is very, very big. It's a gift from God that you can play, but don't make it the idol because you can't bank on it for your ultimate equilibrium or satisfaction. But that's a bit preachy for me, but there's something in this that really matters uh, to be whole. Yeah. You can comment on that, of course, but you've just taking us forward to 2003 uh, and your last major tournament, uh, the World Cup in Australia. Uh, give us a broad brushstroke of, of 203 to, of 203, no. Give us a broad brushstroke of your debut, 93 through 203. You missed the World Cup in the middle. Mm -hmm. Pick us up on that career path and um, 
how it went? So there were lots of, of highs of being involved. Um, Ireland wasn't always at that stage the most successful hockey team on, on the world stage. But we did, um, we, we missed out on that World Cup, but there were Olympic qualifiers that we played in. And actually that was probably one of the most vivid memories I have. Um, we were in, actually, we got to the Olympic qualifier and it was held in Milton Keynes. So there's a little bit of disappointment maybe where, where the venue was, but we got very, we did very well there and nearly did better than was expected. And that was going towards the uh, Olympics in Sydney, but we just missed out. We were beaten by a golden goal. And you still remember the crushing disappointment of thinking you were almost going to make it. And I know we would chatted in the team about taking time out to try and be more full-time athletes. So there were some lows in there as well. Um, but then again, the, the hockey, the, the Europeans, the World Cups, the problem is then you're always using up annual leave holidays for your hockey, yeah. which is brilliant. You can do that as a young single person. But I think, again, that gets much more difficult as you move on in your career as well. It's, it's more difficult to get time off work. Um, but balancing work again, then I think there's lots of aspects of time management, of building really good relationships with people, being professional in your work that you can then manage to change your R slightly or change your rotas to let you get away to play this competitive sport. So it's all a bit of a balance in there. Incredible demands, which is the normal demands of people who are part of Christians in sport. Hardly anyone's professional. Most yes. of us in some way, shape or form have to balance life if we're going to be stuck into sport. What about the, the way your Christian faith alleviated the pain, for example, of that golden goal en route to Sydney? What would you, what would you say to others who are listening to us or describe the way you handled disappointment? Because it's bitter. Being a Christian makes no difference. It's bitter. What do you draw on? So I think being a Christian you realize what Jesus has done for you. You realize the forgiveness you have, the unconditional love you have, and then the new identity that you have in God. Um, in sport so much, we train hard, we play hard, we try and achieve so much. But, you know, in this complete different way that your Christian faith is, this is something that you can't study harder for, work harder for, something you can't achieve, this is given to you. And when you realize that your worth before God does not change depending on failures or successes, then it does help you to cope with those high times and the low times. You've had to face that high achiever uh, factor in all sorts of ways. Uh, as a consultant now, uh, pediatrician, dentist. So you're a high achiever, high achiever in sport. You speak articulately about your identity being received, not something you achieve. How long did it take you to really work that out? Did you work it out quite young? That Christ's gift of acceptance for you transcended everything? No, I think that does take time because I think in sport, so much of identity is your success are you selected? Are you playing well? And then if that's not happening, you do start to doubt yourself. You do doubt your identity. And I think it can become really quite skewed. I mean, I think 
top level sport for a lot of people or trying to play as high a level as you can. It just becomes everything. It's all about you. It takes over every aspect of your life. So I think um, once you recognize that whole identity that it doesn't matter whether you have played well, whether you've been selected, that you're loved by God no matter what, does help you then to deal in those situations. Because when you have given up so much, it can be really disappointing and it can get you down and you can see why you could become really quite disillusioned. So it's trying to not let that identity get completely skewed. As your career ended then, did that ever waver? Because when you're not Karen Kennedy, the international hockey player, uh, most athletes find that a funny combination you hear with top athletes, a relief to be out of the stress and a sadness that you'll never be that person again. I'm not suggesting it was either or both of those for you. What's the transition like when you stop playing at the highest level? I think, I think it is a very difficult transition. Um, I had decided I was stopping at a certain point because it was getting more difficult with work and with family. So I stopped the international hockey, but I continued to play ho uh, club hockey and the club was still playing at a high level. So we still had a lot of training <clears throat> and the discipline of uh, a routine of life, of work, of training afterwards, of going to the hockey. So there was still some structure and then it was just when I had my children that I stopped playing hockey altogether. So I feel like I sort of phased down rather than an immediate stop because it is very difficult from going from a life of being so busy and everything very sort of timetabled and structured to then having all this free time. Mm. How hard then was stepping down from club hockey, which is still a very high level? So move the question forward. Was it hard well, on a scale of naught to 10? 10 impossible, not easy. How hard? In this case, it was actually probably closer to a zero easy. because I was pregnant. So yeah. then there's yeah. the, the excitement of a young family. So in that way, it was a natural break. I still missed the hockey. And when I went to watch, I found it, quite hard, I found it very hard at that stage just to watch the hockey because you want to be playing. But it was a very, a very natural break for me at that stage. You know how you speak um, when we interview elite players, there's a clear demarcation. If you, if a player feels their career, they achieved what they wanted to. I mean, no one's perfect, right? But if they really feel they achieved what they wanted to do in their career, in hindsight, they're very, very relaxed about the rest of their non-playing career. It's those of us who don't feel we were anywhere near what we wished we'd be are the ones who think the most about their previous career and wish and feel disenchanted with it. Therefore, you can tell straight away you're a high achiever as a player because you were relaxed about it all. When you went back in then, when the children were a bit older, was that strange, weird, exciting? Because so many people listening now will be of an age and stage where thinking, I'd love to get going again, but could I? What was it like? I hadn't really planned to go back. I mean, I played once after the, one of the first child was very young and it just didn't really fit for various reasons at that stage. And then a few people said, you should go back. And I thought, well, I love talking so much and it was an enjoyable afternoon or session. So I thought, well, it beats the gym. So I went back um, 
to play and I thought I'll just train I'll, I'll not I'll not play matches but then of course once you're back oh, in impossible. and you start to train oh, uh, yeah and I mean getting back and the enjoyment of competing I have no regrets I mean the day afterwards I was so stiff and sore I thought this is ridiculous I could barely you know bend down to empty the dishwasher so um but but getting back into that it has been a time it's been fun um it gives you headspace and there's so much chat now about you know, well-being, mental health, and it is a great way of just getting out and forgetting all about the other parts of life. Um, obviously, there are friendships that you pick up again, and then there are new friendships, and hopefully then even opportunities to share faith. So uh, I would encourage people to go back to sport, and especially, I suppose, mums who have young children, because it is just a great break from the routine of all of that. Hey, sorry for interrupting the great conversation we're in the midst of with Karen, but I want to just let you know about game day. Uh, many of you may be signed up, but many of you may not yet. Thousands of sports people get it each week. Uh, it's a short devotion. It's written just for you, a sports person. It gets delivered uh, on whatever day you want. You can choose your day of the week. And it's full of encouragement from the Bible uh, and um, guides and prompts to help you pray for the world of sport, for your world of sport, to apply what you've looked at. Um, it, it's a great resource. I love reading it each week. I know many others do. Uh, we've had people do it uh, with their families. of have families of young sports, as we're talking about a bit with Karen. Uh, we have elite players doing it in training camps, amateurs, all sorts, each week, opening their phone, getting their podcast out and enjoying game day. Uh, it takes less than 10 seconds to sign up. You can sign up on our website, christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash game day, christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash game day head there uh, and you can get it straight away uh, but we're going to head back now to our chat with Karen Karen I really like that I'm very much the conversation of the agent most of our listeners will go yeah get that because we're talking about mental health well-being balance equilibrium alternative ways of spending time where you relax your job's not demanding on everything great conversation and very much a healthy conversation to be in these days. So I'm gonna flip that back to you and we'll go out where we came in. Your husband, a busy professional life in the same field as you, broadly speaking, in dentistry, yeah. yourself in a consultant role, two young children, very committed to your sport. How do you manage this? especially when David Kennedy's made a bit of a cricketing comeback, I gather. Well, you th might think comeback's a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> but I suppose we're just juggling the children's sport and uh, our own sport. The seasons work quite well, with the hockey and cricket being different. But last year then, he was going along, helping with some of the juniors, maybe doing a little bit of scoring. And then uh, as my son has become older and started to play senior cricket, he has decided to go along and play a little bit as well. So it's been, um, well, it's been interesting. So, <laughs> what does that uh, mean? It's been interesting. Well, he dropped a catch off, off my son's bowling. So there's, there's plenty of uh, discussion about things like that later on. So there's a lot of fun, but it's a great opportunity to spend time with your children in that environment. And I suppose hopefully then show them how you can be very competitive, how you can enjoy sport, but that it isn't everything. But at the same time, you can share faith and sport and it can all be, uh, as we went from the start, interconnected. Oh, as you said that, right, about David dropping a catch from I'm sure he'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is, you've just awakened something in me. 
have so many conversations with parents when their children are coming to an age. It's never occurred to me before. The child's coming to an age where they can play senior. Yeah. And when a parent gets to be on the same field or pitch or whatever it might be as their child, it is awesome. I mean, were they, was he, I mean, obviously for, for your boy, he's going to a dad's play. Yes. <laughs> but for David, brilliant. Yes, and um, I think there are a few of them, a few parents doing that, and it is a great way to, to, to build relationships, um, well, family relationships as well, and keep in contact and, and I suppose even encourage them and coach them in their sport to improve. Well, what excites me about this last part of our conversation, Karen, is it's one I haven't been informally before in the podcasts, but it brings echoes, that's what happens. It brings echoes, and maybe for the listener, Echoes of things that we all know. That Christians in sport work's been around long enough now for people who are deeply embedded in it, in their teens and 20s and so on, to be mums and dads. So we go to Christians in sport camps and then numerous parents now bringing their own children. What a chance this is for a mother or father to invest in their child in an unusual way by modeling faith and sport. As you coach sport now as well to young people, do you find that a, a really th thrilling opportunity to pass on values almost by feel and touch? So I mean, I've coached at Christians in Sport over a number of years and I've just started to coach more at local school and a little bit at club sometimes. And I'm beginning to enjoy coaching more and more. And it, I mean, you always hear people say, put something back into your sport. But it actually is lovely to be able to go back and try and uh, give something back to hockey by coaching. Um, and I also think many of us who have played sport remember and realise the impact that coaches can have on you as a young, impressionable person. Uh, and you do remember the coaches that were encouraging, who were positive. And I suppose I hope that I could go along. Uh, you know, it can be fun. It can still be competitive, um, but it can be a positive experience for young people. And then as well, then with the involvement in Christians and sport, you also have the opportunity to try and help young people combine their sport and their faith. This is an unprecedented podcast because I often find myself thrilled at the end of a podcast, but this is a different kind of thrilling. We're at a stage in history, aren't we, where the Christian faith in so many ways has declined in the UK in general. And yet there are maybe, maybe just thousands of men and women who have young families, who are people of faith themselves, who have faith from when they were young, maybe from a Christian home or faith at university or youth groups and so on in their teens and 20s, who now have children. And it's just opened my eyes today. There's something that we see so regularly now, the modeling of following the Lord Jesus Christ by a mother and father to their children, by engaging in their sport with them and ensuring that their balance of life and home and study and church and sport gets an equilibrium of 30 or 40 years of experience of a parent. This is a whole new stage in our history at Christians in Sport and something we can absolutely maximize so that our children get the chance to learn from us what to do with their children and the kingdom of God advances. Karen, uh, you made my day uh, letting me talk this through with you. 
because it's actually very inspirational. I'm really grateful to you. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Thanks very much, Dano. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Karen, for joining us. And thanks so much to you uh, for listening in. We, we hope, we pray it's been an encouraging, a challenging listening. It may have raised some questions for you. Uh, do think those over. Um, one of them is if you are a parent and you've been listening to this and, and you think you'd love to think more through what it looks like to be a parent of young sports people do head to our website you can check out our parents network it's a network for for those with young people on the leap performance pathways um the zoom calls they meet together to, to support one another together um if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about that just head to our website uh, and look at for networks or head to christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash networks and you can sign up today uh, we've got them as well whether you're an elite athlete uh, an amateur sports person you can find your network for you there and connecting with others other sports people as we do life together do also let us know if you've got any feedback about the podcast um, if you've got suggestions of, of topics you'd love us to look at or interviews you'd love us to have uh, and if you can if you are listening on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts please do leave a rating leave a review as well uh, it helps uh, many more people hear the podcast find out about it and listen to it in their library so thanks so much for listening to today's podcast we've got plenty more to come soon uh, we're lining up a couple right now really exciting interviews as we move into the spring um, we're really excited to have you listen to them thanks so much for joining us again see you soon bye bye